The lockdown period has been extended for at least another three weeks. Schools and nurseries remain closed, except to a few children. We wanted to do our bit for the NHS and the frontline key workers. We wanted to provide that care for them so they had childcare while they went to work. Some parents have definitely wanted to use the childcare. Um, we've had to turn them away. Many parents are at home trying to balance work with looking after their kids. But some are still being asked to pay for childcare they aren't using. And some childcare staff are still having to go into work, often for very low pay. I'm trying to work, um, Teddy's trying to also do all of the meals and look after the kids and worry about their education, so it's a lot. The fees for the critical workers that are attending don't cover all of the costs needed for the staff. So, what's gone wrong with childcare? How are key workers and childcare staff managing? And are parents being asked to bail out a broken childcare system? Nurseries are already under severe financial strain after a decade of government underfunding. What is going to happen after we beat this pandemic if our nurseries have to close and then cannot reopen? On this episode of the Weekly Economics Podcast, we'll be looking at what COVID-19 and lockdown means for childcare. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith, recording this podcast from my house. Stay with us. This week, we're joined down the line by Lucy Stevens, head of co-production at NEF. Hi, Lucy. Hi there. Thanks for being with us. So before we get stuck into how coronavirus has affected childcare specifically, let's talk about the sector more generally. So you've been on the pod before and you've talked to us about the kind of um, increasingly decaying state of childcare in the UK. But could you give us a bit of an overview for folks who haven't heard that one about the childcare sector in the UK before the crisis? Yeah. Okay, so 7.7 million families in England at the moment rely on preschool childcare, and it's generally a household's second biggest expenditure after rent. We've got some of the most expensive childcare in the world, but we only rank 34th out of 50 in the OECD rankings for quality. And childcare is a notoriously poorly paid and, and undervalued workforce. It's 98% female, the workforce as well. And really kind of remembering what childcare does, it serves two purposes. It's absolutely critical to giving children a high quality early years experience. It supports their early development and it can address gaps in different children's development before they get to school. So it can close the gap where there is um, deprivation and inequality. But it's also vital in enabling families and particularly women to be able to make choices about raising their children and being employed. The sector has, is very fragile. It's been facing years of underfunding by government. And that means right now many providers have got no reserves to fall back on. There have been long running campaigns to demand a fairer payment from the government. You might have heard about parents accessing being given free hours by the government. Obviously, the care is not free. And providers for a long time have been saying the money that they get for those hours of care that they provide is simply not enough. So the latest surveys are showing about 50% of parents have been asked to top up already to cover the full costs of childcare before the crisis. And we were seeing before the crisis about 17% of childcare providers, particularly in England's poorest areas, facing closure and an average of 500 nurseries, preschools and childminders closing every month between April 2018 and March 2019. It's a sector that's been overlooked but it's absolutely vital in enabling children to get a great start and to give parents particularly women the opportunity to make choices about their work and and their caring responsibilities. Mm, And you mentioned it a little bit but could you just say a little bit more about what it's like for people working in childcare so rather than the parents themselves? Yeah so 98% of the workforce is 
female. There's widespread low wages and and insecure terms. About 40% of the workforce rely on additional benefits in order to make ends meet. There's a large number of um, apprenticeships in the sector. There's been um, a staffing crisis in the sector for the last few years, and that's continuing. You would often earn more working in retail with less of the stress and pressure than you do working frontline in, in a childcare setting. Okay, so we've set the scene a little bit. Let's do a deeper dive into how lockdown and COVID-19 specifically are changing things in childcare. So we'll start with parents. So some parents, as we mentioned at the top, are key workers, so their children are able to attend nursery or school. But what about those whose shifts are outside of school or nursery hours? What childcare are they getting? It's really difficult and it's probably worth just kind of spending a, a minute or two to talk about the different types of childcare that exist because it is quite fragmented um, and different parents will be making different choices or, or seeing different options. And there's sometimes it can get a bit jargony, but just to be clear, kind of what we mean by childcare, what we're talking about, I suppose. Firstly, there's a huge amount of informal care that goes on normally. Um, and that's provided by family and friends. It's often grandparents. And before the crisis, about four and a half million grandparents were providing childcare at least once a week. So obviously, since the lockdown, that's not available or shouldn't be available to many families anymore. If grandparents are particularly at risk, they should be self-isolating and, and children are being asked to stay away from older relatives. Then we've got about 39,500 childminders. So they provide about 14% of all the childcare places in England. Childminders are self-employed and they provide care for children in the childminder's home. And that's often flexible care. They're able to be open perhaps kind of longer hours and sometimes also flexibility over working at weekends. They tend to be used by some of those key workers who need that flexibility with longer shifts or working what's known often as non-traditional hours. You've also got nannies and au pairs. They're also self-employed, but they care for children in the child's home. Uh, It's really hard to know how many nannies and au pairs there are because it's only optional for them to register with Ofsted. So there's not kind of a, a full list or register of those people. Often they're directly employed by the family that they work for. So that's quite a hidden workforce. And some of the research we've been doing has, has been finding some particular challenges for those workers. Many of them are migrant women and, and so are facing particular challenges. Then you've got nursery schools that are attached to, to primary schools often, and they focus on the three and four-year-olds. And then finally, there's the childcare settings, which are collective settings that have children in them and they provide over 1.1 million places the majority of those are private businesses so the response by government has been childcare should remain available to key workers because we need key workers to be able to turn up for work and do the essential jobs that they're doing but what's happening locally is is very different in different places and there's lots of different challenges going on the coordination locally is quite difficult local authorities haven't had a direct role in the provision of childcare due to kind of the Childcare Act of several years ago. And so they try to play a coordination role, but they don't have kind of a direct say over whether some of those private settings will stay open or not. And those settings are having to make their own decisions about whether their staff are safe, but also whether it's financially viable for them to stay open. Childminders often will have their own children at home as well as providing care um, to others. I've seen some brilliant examples of childminders doing amazing things and really going the extra mile, but they are taking on kind of an additional pressure and potentially an additional risk with children coming into their own home, coming into contact with their own family. And some of them may be needing to self-isolate. 
And then there's been some really amazing responses from some childcare settings. There's um, a nursery up in the northeast that has switched its provision to be a 24-hour provision in order that they can reflect those longer shift patterns that key workers are being asked to work at the moment. So they've got their staff there 24-7 working through the week, um, which does reflect the type of care that some of these key workers need. And, And often before the crisis, those key workers were struggling to find the care that they needed in a traditional childcare nursery. That's why there's this very strong reliance, particularly among key worker families, on grandparents. Wow. Okay. That was very comprehensive. I had seen some stories about key workers who are having to ask for donations because they can't afford their childcare fees. And that certainly seems to kind of speak to what you've just laid out there. Could we talk a little bit about parents who aren't key workers? So they'll be most likely staying at home with their children and then potentially trying to balance childcare with work. You've written about parents who've been asked to pay some or all of their childcare fees still during lockdown, even though their children aren't attending nursery. So I'd like to take that in two halves. The first bit, it would be great if you could talk a little bit about that experience or the impact of both trying to work from home and do a full time job of taking care of your children. Um, As I know, a lot of my colleagues in particular are are really struggling with that. And then the secondary thing of, of why they're still then being asked to pay fees. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a moment when the recognition of the importance of childcare was suddenly there and and this acknowledgement of how vital it was to enable key workers to be able to work. But it disappeared pretty quickly as parents took all of that particularly early years care back into their own homes. And and all of us, I mean, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and I'm managing that as I go along, but a a nine-year-old is able to focus and move on with her own work for periods of time, not the whole day, but for, for chunks of time at least. For a child under five, as a parent, you need to be with them almost constantly. And so parents and particularly mothers are going to be facing an incredible burden of balancing the requirements of a job alongside um, providing care for their children. And that's been acknowledged in some surveys recently with businesses saying that they, I think 65% of businesses in a recent survey were saying they were really concerned that their staff were going to find it difficult to balance um, caring responsibilities alongside um, their workplace responsibilities. We've been asking parents directly and trying to, to, to pick up on what's going on through word of mouth. But there's also been a few surveys done recently of nursery providers. And it shows that about 30% of childcare settings are still charging childcare fees to non-key worker families who aren't able to use that childcare. And there is quite a range of the charges within that. Some parents are being asked to pay full fees. Others are being asked to pay around 25% of fees Some are being leaned on very heavily, even if, you know, the family's income itself could have disappeared. But they're being told if they don't pay those fees, they won't retain a place for their child when that nursery reopens after the lockdown, which in turn will have a huge impact then on on that household's ability to go back to work without childcare. That becomes very, very difficult. Essentially, what's happening is the same as what's gone on for years with government not putting in enough money for the free hours. Parents are being asked to hold the risk burden of childcare providers being able to continue um, and at a time when lots of household finances are under enormous pressure. So parents are both confused and upset I think at just how different the experience is from different settings and it's very very hard for providers to be clear quite what the right line to take is. Some parents are saying where they can afford to they want to continue to pay because they're expecting that that 
money will go to the childcare staff that they really value, but there's no guarantees that those settings will be paying the staff what they need, or indeed that those settings will be able to open after the closures. So there's real insecurity. And this is in contrast to other countries like Ireland and Australia, who have recognised just how vital this sector is in the short term, but also in the long term when we start to think about a recovery. So in Ireland and Australia, they've stepped in immediately and in and they've pledged to cover the full cost of all childcare fees during the crisis. That means that parents don't have that burden falling on them, but it also means that key workers get free childcare during this crisis, taking that financial burden off them and enabling them to focus on the really vital work that they need to do right now. So it is possible. (laughs) It is happening in other places, yeah. We're going to talk about childcare workers themselves in a second, but um, just to stick with this point around parents who are still paying for childcare, the IFS has said that the government's 80% income protection scheme that we've talked about on the on the podcast in recent weeks should be extended to people who've had to reduce their working hours in order to take on more childcare. Do you think that that's the right approach and is it enough? I don't, actually, um, because I think it's too inflexible. I think what's going to happen is then households will have to look at which member of the family is earning more and then we'll have to take a decision on who takes that 80% furlough because we know around pay inequalities, it's more likely to be the woman of the household. And so we're going to see kind of an immediate impact in terms of women being withdrawn from the workforce, but a longer term impact in terms of that. They'll be missing kind of those hours and that time and and potential opportunities of kind of future work and, and pay. So there are other ways that could be handled and something like NEF's minimum income guarantee would make it much easier for households to choose to balance a joint reduction in working hours in order that both parents can share the childcare and also be assured that there is sufficient income coming into the household. Okay, so let's carry on then and talk about childcare workers themselves in a bit more detail before we kind of circle back to government response. So parents are struggling, as you said, during lockdown, that's very clear. But what about people who work in the childcare sector itself? So childcare work, as you've said, isn't often very highly paid. Are those workers struggling with the lockdown as well? Are they being furloughed? Are you seeing any trends there? It's difficult, again, because the sector is so fragmented, it's very hard to see exactly what's going on and to pick up any kind of national trends. But we're seeing local providers responding in very different ways. So particularly some of the not-for-profit sector I've seen being very transparent about what's going on, sending clear letters and communication out to parents explaining that they're going to put a percentage of their staff on the furlough scheme, that they would ask parents to make donations if that was possible to enable them to ensure that those staff are paid at the 100% rate rather than the 80% rate because, as we've already said, so many of the childcare workforce are on very poor wages if they then have to be on 80% of poor wages it will push a lot of people into poverty there are some other factors that, that there's not been much data on at the moment but things that are worrying a lot of the nurseries particularly because there's been a crisis in staffing for a number of years a lot of people are working as bank staff and on temporary contracts there's also a lot of apprenticeships And so apprenticeships are on incredibly low pay rates. So 80% of of an incredibly low pay rate is very, very challenging as well. So it will be very difficult to see how 
a sector that was already facing a, a huge recruitment crisis is going to be able to kind of weather this storm. And it's very worrying to think about the, the personal impact for many of those um, those women who, who are in these really essential roles, but who will be really struggling now. Mm. And am I right in thinking that lots of childcare workers who are migrants won't be able to access certain government schemes as well? Yeah, so... We've talked about employees working in childcare. Childminders are facing all sorts of challenges. They tend to be self-employed, and so there are big questions there about whether the self-employment support will be sufficient for them. They tend to see very varied income depending on when children are with them and when they go on to school. They often kind of have gaps for short periods of time. So looking at average earnings might be really, really difficult for them. And then those less documented nannies and au pairs who are employed directly by parents will also be facing huge challenges. A lot of people are working in that profession for cash in hand, so there's no chance of then applying for something like the um, self-employment schemes. And we've had first-hand conversations with people who are being asked to continue to provide childcare for parents whilst they have their own children at home. They're essentially being asked to break the lockdown for parents who are not key workers, putting their own health at risk and potentially they're putting their children in a difficult position where they're not being cared for at home. So it sounds basically like both parents and workers are finding this lockdown period really difficult for different reasons. But has the government done anything specific to intervene in childcare? So you've touched on some things already, but in terms of their kind of suite of support that they've rolled out, what are we seeing on childcare? So the main stuff that government has offered to childcare is the same that it's offered to all businesses. And I think that's quite telling. They're essentially seeing childcare as just another business sector rather than recognising it as this essential underpinning service that will enable so many other parts of the economy and and other businesses to move on and, and to thrive after the lockdown. The one thing that they've done that's additional to that kind of business support is that they initially said that all childcare providers would be able to continue to receive the free hours funding for all of the children that they had registered on their books from February. So that was a pledge that they would get three months worth of free hours income to continue to fund them, even though those children probably won't be able to attend because they won't be key worker children. And that is useful. That is a bit of income that is helpful to know. But remember, a lot of nurseries are providing care for children from age zero through to five. And the free hours that government offers is only for 40% of two year olds, the most deprived two year olds. And then for three and four year olds, it could be 15 or 30 hours. So it definitely won't reflect the full fees that a nursery has historically been receiving. It's just a proportion of that. And to make that worse, just on Friday, they issued some clarifications. So many nurseries had initially been told that they would be able to use the furlough scheme and then would also have access to the ongoing free hours that were pledged. And just on Friday the 17th, providers were given new guidance that placed some restrictions on that and has undermined whether they will actually receive all of that income. So they've all spent the last two or three weeks desperately trying to find ways to balance their books. And they're now being told at the last minute that actually there'll be further restrictions. And it's been described by quite a few in the sector as a complete kick in the teeth. And it it will end up putting providers under even more financial pressure. And I guess the end 
outcome of that is either providers will need to turn to parents for even more money or we'll see closures. And some of the settings currently locking down will never reopen. So parents will see fewer places um, after the crisis. Hmm. And is there any kind of devolution involved? Do local authorities have any power to go above and beyond the government offer? They've been offered guidance and some things are happening, not all of them good. In one local authority area, they've been struggling to find enough support for key workers. So they have decided instead that they will restructure the free hours, taking them away from uh, the majority of providers, but offering them instead as bonus payments to those nurseries that will stay open and offer places to key workers. Obviously, that's great that key workers will then get the care that they need, but that's taking money away from an already fragile childcare sector, and it's going to put those other settings under even more pressure. We've seen in Wales something along similar lines where they have pledged that all um, key workers will have free childcare, but they're not doing that by bringing in additional funding. They're doing it by taking money away from the original settlement for childcare providers. Okay, okay, useful. So a question that I, I've been wondering about as, you, as you've been talking about this is, and you, again, we've touched on it, so I think I might know the answer, but do you think the current crisis has thrown relief on the value of care? So has it kind of changed how we think about childcare and its role in society? Um, has it shown that we actually uh, do value it and therefore after this the childcare system post-crisis will be more resourced or do you kind of as you've hinted at think nothing's going to change it's really it's worrying and I think it's really really sad because childcare workers are key workers too and many of them are doing an incredible job putting themselves at risk caring for young children who will be going through incredibly confusing times with their parents in key worker roles, working longer hours and being absent from home even more. So we should be celebrating and clapping for those carers alongside everybody else. But actually, at the moment, it feels probably in individual households, there's a tension between parents and their childcare provider because they're being asked for these extra funds when maybe they can't afford it. It's putting providers in a very difficult position. There are two routes out, I suppose. Where we are right now, it feels like without a significant move from government, we are going to see this kind of continuation of a market-based approach, which is going to see a kind of financially driven survival of the strongest nurseries. And that will lead to closures of, in inverted brackets, unprofitable settings. And often those unprofitable settings are based in poorer areas. They're providing care to those children with higher needs, special educational needs and disabilities. It's also likely to lead to an increase in fees, putting even further pressure on households kind of in the short and medium term. And that will then have an an impact on how many families can recover during a recession that comes after the crisis. The positive route, if government were to actually step up now and, and act, is that we could shift away from that and start to recognise the critical importance of the sector. And if government intervenes in the right way, perhaps we can move towards something that is taking the risk burden for this critical service away from individuals and putting it back towards the state because the crisis is showing us where where we're holding that kind of universal and collective responsibility like services like the NHS. We're able to organise, to coordinate and to really sort of step up and, and fix the problem when it comes. We want to move towards a, a stronger role for the state in coordinating and funding childcare and really valuing care work. And I think individual families are probably recognising the miracles that childcare workers do 
with their own children now that we've got our own kids at home and are desperately trying to renegotiate the rules and, and make stuff actually happen. But I'm worried that that won't move into kind of a more significant government funding and intervention approach and this burden will continue to fall on families. Okay, so there's, they're the kind of two routes that we have potentially mapped out before us. If you could tell the listeners what, if anything, they can do, we can do to support the childcare sector and parents and workers through the lockdown, what would that be? So there are some petitions circulating at the moment. The Early Years Alliance has a petition pushing back on the government's current clarification on funding. And there's also petitions asking for a similar intervention to what's gone on in in Ireland and Australia. On an individual household level, it's very, very difficult. I know many parents are trying to have those conversations with their providers, trying where they have income themselves to ensure that what they can spare flows back into childcare services so that they can support those providers that they use. But I think it's also fair to ask for transparency around where that money goes and to ensure that that is being directed towards those critical childcare staff rather than being kind of lost in um, some of the complicated financial structures of some of the bigger chain providers. Mm. Okay, so there are things that folks can do, but proceed with caution. Okay, great. Thanks so much for that overview, Lucy. It was super, super useful. Lovely listener. It's that time again. We've come to the end. That's all we've got time for. But if you're hungry for more, we'll be following up this discussion in an online briefing over Zoom on Thursday, the 30th of April. So we'll be talking to Neff's own Lucy Stevens again, as well as Christine Berry and Zoe Raven, Chief Executive of Acorn Early Years Foundation. Keep an eye on our social media or sign up to our mailing list for updates on that we'll include the links in the podcast notes lucy stevens thanks for being with us if people want to find out more about your work uh, where can they go what should they read etc so we've got some blogs and some research on the nef website also i'm on at made afloat on twitter lovely thanks so much okay that's it for today's weekly economics podcast live from my living room if you've enjoyed this episode please tell someone about it and as always you can drop us a line with your comments and questions we're at oh we're at nef on twitter new okay the weekly economics podcast is brought to you by the new economics foundation i'm aisha thomas smith stay safe